It's episode 95 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guests are Charlie Gascoigne and Joe Thompson. How are you? Good, yeah. Very well. I'm warm. Yes, it's very warm here. Would you like to explain to listeners where we are? We are at... uh, For a minute then, I thought we were doing like one word at a time. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've been doing improv for so long now, I'm I'm looking for the game in every conversation. (laughs) Uh, But yes, we're at the the British Improv Project weekend. We are, which is in uh, Melton Mowbray, yes. home of the pie. Um, <laughs> it's famous for its pies, and now it's improv, so that's nice. Yeah. Is this your first time you've been here? It's, it's your first, isn't it? Yes, this is the first one I've been to. It's my second, and the first one I went to was the first one, before it was even technically the British Improv Project. Wow. It was the first one that was put together uh, and it was in Edale in a hostel. Right. So uh, when I came up the drive here, I, I turned to Tom and I said it was like seeing someone from high school and realizing how hot they got. Because <laughs> uh, it's just radically changed. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, this place is so nice. Um, yes. A lovely little country. I want to say villa, even though I know it's not. It's that kind of vibe. I'm thinking manor house. Yes, no, that's more. That's way closer to what I mean. It is weird because the setting is very Downton Abbey, and yet all you've got is people walking around in black improv t-shirts <laughs> with their like club name on them in jeans and sunglasses, very hungover. And the two things, the two different TV shows, just collide. Skins meets Downton. It's just a weird combination. Yes, listeners, keen-eared listeners may. Uh, <laughs> may notice that we're all sounding a little bit on the husky side, <laughs> so apologise for that now. But it's been an intense 24 hours in, oh, yeah. in, in, in a really good way. So what's the appeal of the British Improv Project? It's such a good way of meeting people, yeah. uh, which I know sounds like a cliche, but genuinely um, you can end up in such a bubble uh, when you do improv that you, you see the same people day in, day out, and you improvise mm. with the same people. And you get complacent, and what's great is that you can turn up to these and meet a million people at a million different levels. And it's challenging. You challenge yourself, you challenge yeah. other people. Particularly up north where we are, that's, that's a real uh, threat, is that uh, the groups... Uh, I think we have, we have plenty of improv up north, but for some reason, it, there's less in terms of like a set system of connection. Hmm. So, you know, you could somewhere like London from my distant experience of it because it is so distant I, where I am in Sheffield it's not even really feasible to do the train to London for the weekend you know without spending so much money it's ridiculous yeah. um, but uh, it's um, it is it therefore feels up north very separate because there aren't central teaching places there aren't central meeting places jam places every city has their own tiny little ecosystem and we occasionally try and reach over to Manchester from Sheffield, we reach over to Leeds, but it, it does feel super, super, everyone feels far away. Yeah, yeah, and so coming to something like this and reminding ourselves. You may be able to hear the sound of a tractor <laughs> outside. That's how much in the countryside we are. Um, if I was more professional, I'd insist that we shut the windows, but it is too swampy. It's very we die. <laughs> like the, the sound of tractor would be replaced by the sound of just waterfalls <laughs> of sweat. What a delightful, <laughs> delightful image that is. Um, and you're both uh, teaching, uh, teaching workshops. We are, yes. yes. Do you want to tell me about those? 
Yeah, so um, despite the weather, I'm doing a physical theatre workshop uh, because I like to torture people. Um, and yeah, that's, that's been really fun. Uh, it's sort of a... It was initially sort of split into three parts, but it's sort of quite a 50-50 split, I guess, between um, quite theatre-based stuff, sort of physicality of character, you physicality me of status. <laughs> yes. Uh, come with me if you want to brecht. Um, <laughs> and it was, yeah, it's a very much kind of performance skills in theatre that you can apply to improv. And then the second half uh, is is my baby. Uh, it's my, um, my, my sheer joy in life, which is what ridiculous shape can I put my body in for comedy? Uh, I'm really looking at being a prop and um, being either an inanimate prop with a function or being a prop with a voice, uh, which led to a very interesting um, tableau today where everyone was a toaster with a different personality. Um, so that's been fantastic. Very warm, but uh, very fun. Yes, uh, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed because I've been an object before, but breaking it down into animate and inanimate was a distinction that I hadn't made mm. before, so that's really interesting. Um, I also enjoyed the way in which you um, talked about stereotypes of you know the king, the queen, and the fact they lead with different parts of their bodies. I'm just wondering if you could say a bit more about that. Yes, and luckily, um, the man who brought that particular um, activity to me is actually sat right oh, next to me. Oh, so you, you've done? I didn't actually know this. You've done the uh, the, yes. the ogre to. That's fantastic because I actually taught that exercise <laughs> at the first bit weekend. Well, That's I remember, amazing. I remember you teaching it me and, and while I didn't do the exercise itself, um, it's basically, um, it's, it's a weird thing to describe over podcast form because <laughs> it's such a physical thing, but it's basically looking at kind of um, how you uh, indicate character and status from sort of how sort of the way you hold your body. So the kings uh, are very high and everything's leading sort of with the head uh, and the, the lower down the uh, pecking order you go, the more you physically go down and you show it. And while they're sort of very specific ye olde archetypes, you'd be amazed how many characters that you play spontaneously that you think is mm. a very organic and original character is actually just it does and will fall under um, one or more Absolutely. of those archetypes. Absolutely, I, I really like those characters. I really like using them, they're really good because they will always be visually impacting and something that can be very easy to do in improv is to come on and be two people in different parts of the stage looking at each other. Yes. Uh, and so to, uh, to physically morph the body is actually something that's quite important in improv so that every time, uh, two people stand up on stage, something looks different. It looks like we're moving forward. In, in theatre, you, know, you change set, you add prop, you, you, you add and you take away because you have that pre-control, you have that rehearsal process to look at the visual impact of it. But improv, you don't have that, so you have to implement techniques to have that visual aspect always changing, always interesting, always engaging. Yeah, mm. and it was, it was really that that sort of got uh, mentioned today and brought up and... Uh, and yeah, so I'm glad. I'm glad you uh, you liked Joe's thing that I stole. <laughs> <laughs> it's just delightful that Joe was here to yeah, talk about the it. Yeah, has become the uh, sneaky student who steals things. <laughs> who you've learned from? It's all. It's all. It's all good. Uh, and Joe, you also teaching a workshop yes, here? Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm doing. I was going to say a basic game workshop, but I don't think so often. Uh, so I'm, I'm teaching game, and I have a lot of opinions about game because I feel like game is sometimes the is so misunderstood. And I met people who are like, oh, I don't like game. I don't like doing game. I'm never very good at finding the funny thing, and so, and I instantly want to kind of 
uh, like grab them by the ears and go, you've completely misunderstood game entirely. <laughs> like, because it's so often seen as finding funny things in the scene, being funny. Game is become, can so often become shorthand for be, just being funny. It's finding the joke as opposed to finding the game. Uh, so one uh, analogy that I keep using all weekend is uh, game is not only in comedy. For example, game turns up in Harry Potter. Because within Harry Potter, you have a fairly normal world, and yet a truth that they unearth in that world is the fact that uh, wizards exist. Simple truth they established at the beginning. The rest of the series touches back on this truth. The game is, if wizards exist in this world, then what might be true about the society that they live in that has to hide and live in secrecy? Now, at no point is that played for laughs, but we explore this truth about the world that we are reading just by it touching back on it again. We delight in returning and learning new details about this world. Um, and in many ways, that is what game is. is a certain kind of, 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 of world building in a way. It doesn't have to be about things in the world. It can be things in the relationship or things in the character. But it's just a way we return to truths that we've unearthed. But it's so often, because there are so many well-used technical terms for it, like heightening, stakes, if, then. And they're all brilliant and very useful, but when you are thrown with all these terms, you will eventually just, all you'll hear is be funny, mm. because that is so often what is brought back to. And so people panic and think, oh, I'm not funny enough to know game, which is why my game workshop is actually stripping back a lot of the technicality and, and kind of returning very much to just the core, which is how do we detect patterns based on truths that mm. we establish in scenes. So, yeah, how do you do that? Um, so the way that I kind of do it is we have a couple of exercises that we do that are sort of uh, basically forced games to kind of establish how what you do when you recognise them. So uh, I have one uh, work um, exercise uh, I call workplaces where you get... Everyone's involved in the game. Everyone in the workshop's involved in the game. They can all get involved. Two people are sort of the main characters in the scene that you create. One is an employer. The other is a new employee joining the workspace. And at some point in the first section of the, of the scene, the person has to say, well, like any other workspace, but, and then establish a truth yeah. about the workspace. So yeah. we're like any other factory, but everyone's a little bit clumsy. And then we've, we've unearthed that truth. We've, we've begun the pattern. And everyone then knows all they need to do is come in and be a character in a workspace where everyone's a bit clumsy. And they can then begin to explore the different aspects of that. So maybe someone comes in and they're the accountant in the factory and they keep dropping all their paperwork into the industrial shredder. Oh dear, off they go. They didn't have to think of something funny. They just had to think of, well, what different people might be in this workspace. But it ended up being funny because it connected, it touched back upon, and the audience love it. Uh, we also do uh, an exercise where we basically, so a character comes in to a scene, tells uh, some kind of professional a problem that they have. The professional tries to help in character, but the performer basically tries to make the problem worse no. uh, with everything that they, they do. And again, just unearthing this uh, truth that this person isn't helping and then just touching back upon that time and time again so that it becomes a recognisable pattern. I think that's really great because it answers a lot of, sort of questions for me because when it comes to doing improv and sort of trying to be funny, 
you sometimes know yourself what might be funny in that moment mm. or you're able to identify what someone else has done that being that, that is funny and was funny but people always say to me like oh you know you can't teach funny like mm. you can't you can't like I, when I mentioned about this weekend and people say like oh how, how do you teach comedy um and it's quite a difficult thing because you go oh, I, I don't well I, yeah. I do well I, well I don't I don't know <laughs> uh, and that's a really great way of explaining it is it's how organic the, the joke is how yeah. organic the, the joy of it is because for me so much of improv is the situational comedy of it the, the, the hilarity of improvising it itself and I think exploring the game is such an important thing because not only does it give you a thousand opportunities as, as you know uh, as performers as improvisers but it becomes hysterical mm. and I think the audience start to build up and they, and they see when they recognize the game once you and the audience are on the same level it's just pure joy, mm. um, and I, I and, love seeing that. And it happens in the workshops, which is why I love running game workshops, because it's so satisfying for me as a teacher and for everyone, because when people begin to get it, they get it so quickly and so rapidly. Uh, characters, you're always working on characters, You're all, and don't get me wrong, you're always working on game, but it's that instant satisfaction that makes game very, very addictive, and you do begin to do it in your everyday conversation. You begin to detect patterns in everything that you're saying. You do begin to constantly refer back and touch touchstone back to, to this this pattern that you began to develop. Uh, and it's an immensely satisfying part of improv. It's one of the things that I really, really find joy in doing. Fantastic. You've convinced me of the Lovely. importance of game. I was one of the people who said I didn't <laughs> like it. You should come to my workshop tomorrow. Well, that sounds <laughs> a marvellous idea. <laughs> Cool. And you're both in a group called Strike? Yes. That's correct. Yes. Tell me about that. So we joined Strike. Yes. So Strike, uh, if I'm getting the history right, and apologies, um, Paul, if he can yeah. hear me. Uh, I'm sorry <laughs> if I get the, the, uh, the legacy wrong, but uh, Strike was initially a, a, a student radio station. Yes. And they were kicked off student radio for their controversial um, behaviour. Really? Uh, hence the name, because strike, they had three strikes and they were out. And they were out. Uh, not for anything dreadfully offensive no, or derogatory, um, I yeah. want to make sure. I think their final strike was they, uh, they did a, they actually did a slightly improvised uh, thing on the radio where they improvised that the whole radio show was mi midway through a, 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 like a zombie apocalypse <laughs> and it ended with the last character running out into zombie apocalypse and they for, for authenticity they left the mic just on empty air for the rest of the night, uh, which was their final strike, and they were kicked off this uh, internet radio show. So it kind of blossomed from there into sort of a maverick bunch, um, and, it, and it was a podcast for the longest time. Yeah, just um, a podcast. A comedy podcast, sort of, a, but it dealt with all sorts of tips and tricks and ridiculous things. And, yeah. Uh, but now we've got Strike Comedy, the umbrella, uh, which encompasses Strike Improv, so we've got our performing cast, and we've also got our podcast, which is now an improv, improv podcast. podcast. It's slowly the improv is beginning to <laughs> root itself into a lot of other things that we're, we're doing. It's definitely the heart of now what, of what Strike does. Um, but it's, it's very difficult to talk about because it's, it very much isn't our creation. It's no, coming, it, coming onto the train halfway through yeah. the journey. It's a benevolent dictatorship is the way that Strike is, is explained in that we're all a big part of Strike, but it's... It's very much like, um, it is what it is, and it's either you're in or you're out with it. Mm. We, it's wonderfully like freeing as sort of someone who's done like improv and the teaching, 
to not worry about the teaching side of things. I'm able to turn up, be told what we're looking at today and to improvise completely yeah. freely. So there's freedom of performance without a kind of a, a hierarchy to worry yeah. about. Um, I mean, we now, we now do bits to help out beyond the improvising. We, uh, we, we're currently trying to uh, find venues and gigs and stuff. That's sort of our role between the two of us. Um, is find gigs that we can kind of tag along with, which is a remarkably hard thing to do, is finding <laughs> non-improv gigs that'll go, sure, and you can do a bit of improv. Trying to convince any open mic night that they definitely need to yeah. give us a 35-minute slot <laughs> with six people on a Wednesday night in the middle of Manchester. Um, but the, the prominent trio of Strike uh, is, are all here this, this week, uh, is uh, Paul Beauchamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, sort of the two improv directors, the one who lead our workshops, are Alex Keane, who has done uh, lessons at previous uh, BIP weekends, and uh, Bobby Anderson, who is do it, who did the montage yes. uh, class at, at this one. Who I'm um, very much hoping will be episode 96. Fabulous. Uh, yes. He's wonderful. Yeah, and he's he's been our, our kind of guide through it, and um, he we. Uh, we do kind of share things around now as we're all mm. starting to get more experience and we're all starting to kind of... We, we, definitely, we definitely show each other a lot of, of, of mutual respect and people pick things up and lead their own things. We all sort of knew each other as well through kind of our university improv society and other bits of comedy we got involved in. Um, so we are kind of a ragtag bunch of sort mm. of bits from other places and just kind of... Uh, and it's great because you, know, you get that kind of hive mind mentality... Um, and it means that while the kind of improv we do is um, rule breaky at times, yeah. um, ev- yeah. everything you thought you knew about improv, well, we'll frequently walk into a scene with a gun asking a question, yeah. say, <laughs> saying no. Um, Familiarity breeds rule breaking. Absolutely. It's all basic stuff. So we just be- begin to just. Uh, I think we had what, the, the biggest uh deviation from typical improv that we had with strike was uh our basic format is uh, like a one word jump straight into a scene montage kind of thing and we got a session of arm and we were at the end of the show and we were all a little bit tired and i got i'd got the suggestion and i just raised my arm and began staring at it and charlie came on stage and just licked my arm (laughs) and then suddenly everyone was licking each other on stage and then we swept because we yeah. were like, that's done. It was entirely non-verbal. It was one of those moments where <laughs> the second Joe walked on, I was like, I'm, I'm a licking. <laughs> and everyone else on the side went, yep, yeah, that's the direction this is going in. And, um, and everyone in the audience went, what the hell is improv? <laughs> and we single-handedly took improv comedy back as a serious uh, performance format in 50 years. <laughs> in that single ridiculous moment. But it's not a cult, and that's the no. important thing to but, say about it. Is, it is bred out of um, kind of knowing the other performers, and you do find that's that's the point you can begin to experiment with the format so much more because you you skip over a lot of the rules because you don't need them because you're familiar with the person and you know where they're going to go with different types of things that they're going to say. Yeah. So you can jump three steps ahead and you know maybe maybe you do deny them because you know what they're saying they want you to push back on. Mm. Yes. And so what to a normal performer might seem like a block, you're actually rolling into a dynamic that maybe you've done in other scenes and you go, this would work here. Uh, and just little things like that. It's not quite cheating it. It's not quite not improv, but it certainly has that 
you find the familiar patterns that you, you usually fall into with certain performers, and so it means that sometimes you can just break a couple of rules, or sometimes you do just to keep things interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what, if someone was um, on stage with you both, or either of you individually, what could they do to delight you? I, I love high energy. Because I, in everything I do and say, is high energy. Uh, if anything, I need to learn to hold back. Um, <laughs> and when someone matches my energy, that's, that's my absolute bread and butter. So if I can walk into a scene and storm something up and stir the pot and someone to just hop in that tornado with me, it does make for some strange scenes. Uh, if no one's there to hold you back and play opposite you and sort of contrast you, you can find that things go from 0 to 10 very, very quickly. But that to me is that um, it, it's the most supported I could feel in that moment is to someone to go, I hear exactly where you're coming from. Let me get my running shoes on. Let's take that, let's take that road. Uh, and that, that for me is just pure joy. I'm, I'm very, very similar uh, with probably the caveat as someone being on stage with me, as in if I, I like being on the back line someone setting up a character that I can step into the shoes of. Uh, Very ver there, So there's a short form game that's all about this actually, it was one of my faves, which is uh, Our Mate Greg, and you, the, the game is two people on stage, they talk about one of their friends and they just pimp a bunch of uh, strange traits onto the character and then someone has to come on as that character. Uh, and that's one of my favourite things to do, especially the more abstract the better. I think I once came in as a dinosaur that worked at a supermarket mm. and they were talking about the fact that dinosaurs worked at the supermarket and everyone was sort of dancing around it and I was like, this is, I, I got such joy out of stepping in and being like, eh. <laughs> and I, spent, I didn't say a word through the whole scene, I just made a series of different sounds and that's the other thing people um, can do to like me on stage which is humour me and uh, <laughs> when I come in yes. with something very abstract and maybe not necessarily very supportive uh, which I will only ever do if I feel the person can handle it but if I you know, come in with a completely non-verbal character for example um, what I love about Strike is that you know, they're able to then dance around that and they will do all the legwork to allow for this wonderful character to remain because I, I fell in love with the characters that I create we have nicknames within Strike. Uh, we have little middle nicknames that we've all earned. Uh, mine is Joe Characters Thompson. And so thankfully people know that I'm gonna come in with abstract, unusual, wacky characters. Yeah. And so people, because they're all lovely in Strike, accommodate for that. <laughs> and they, they build around the characters that I create to allow me to do that, which is very kind of them. <laughs> they indulge me. <laughs> cool. Uh, how did you discover improv? What drew you to it in the first place? Um, once again, I'm sat next to the person responsible <laughs> for. Uh, I, I, well, we. Me, oh, we, Joe, we, sorry, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, I listened to Improv London and I was inspired <laughs> and I took it up. That's a story here. <laughs> so often, uh, I enjoy it every time. Um, well, we were at university together uh, studying theatre and Joe came to see me in, uh, in a very poor production of Some Dreadful Thing. It was, no, it was, a, uni it was a university production. Yes. We both were in it. it was, and I um, saw your version and you were doing a massively physical character. I was, doing, I was playing an old lady and I, I, it, was, it was every Julie Walters character ever <laughs> <laughs> combined into one screaming banshee and it was, and it was absolutely <laughs> insane. And for some reason, Joe went you should come to um, <laughs> do Shrimps, which is the Sheffield uh, Improv Society of which... Jim the the Sheffield Fine. University. Sorry, uh, yes, yeah. sorry, the Sheffield Uni, um, of which you were 
artistic the, director. At the time I was artistic director. So my journey in is I actually fell in love with improv, as most people do, I imagine, watching Who's Lines Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, it was funny, when I listened to the episode that you had with Tom Young on, and I heard his story, it's remarkably similar. <laughs> uh, watched uh, Who's Lines Anyway, was desperate to find it. So when I went to university, part of my decision-making to which university I went to was, did they have a, a, an improv group? Because right. at the time, that was... Yeah, because we sat next to each other in the introduction to our to, to university life. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> so it was like, not even our first day of uni, it was like, you'd had a little tour and then we sat in the room and they played a, a you know, a moving video yeah, and it was great yeah, yeah. about what you were gonna become. And they gave us all a start and it was like, if, you, if you're gonna do one thing, try one thing new, what's it gonna be? And I didn't know what to write, so I just copied the person next to me. <laughs> <laughs> which happened to be Joe, who had written, try improv comedy. So I'd gone, all right, loser. And I was like, <laughs> try improv comedy. And I still have that start. Wow. Um, and I so. eventually bullied her into doing it properly. Mm. But yes, yeah, so my thing is like, part of my decision making was like, because in many ways, university societies are the, uh, the place that many people come into improv through. There are more places cropping up now where you can do it outside of that. But uh, at the time I came in, that was that was what I believe was the way in. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I found the shrimps. I very quickly became a performing member, but I think that was mainly due to my previous theatre experience. Right. I'd already been done quite a lot of theatre up to that point. Uh, and then went on to kind of leave that and then launched off that into strike. And that's, that's where we are at the moment. Cool. So what's it like being an improviser in Sheffield? Interesting. Interesting. It, it's, it's like it's like watching a, a flower bloom, yes. but slowly. And sometimes it feels like it's very slow, and sometimes it feels like it's speeding up. It's it's great in a way. There's a lot of promise in Sheffield improv at the moment, and just the comedy scene in general mm. in Sheffield. In that you're sort of a caretaker of it. In that it's yeah, like I say, it's almost in its infancy, and there's so much good stuff going on. And it's easy to compare yourself to bigger cities, cities with a lot more um, sort of venues and things. Mm. So there is a lot of responsibility for us to create that scene around us. And it's getting there. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's good stuff there. The size of the city really does affect it though. Mm. Like, so obviously to compare it to, I mean, places near Amphar, obviously places like Manchester, huge metropolitan area. On the other side of us, places like Leeds, another fairly big metropolitan area, and obviously some of the places where improv is really taking off at the moment and really becoming that that place where it might go to the next level. London, Birmingham, I think has got a really good scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're huge metropolitan cities. Sheffield is famously like somewhere. It's like a technically a city, but it's basically a big village. <laughs> and in many ways, the whole vibe's so villagey. Yeah. So it's very it means people are actually weirdly conservative with what they would do in the evening. Mm. So you're competing with, um, with, with, you know, familiarity, and so it's very difficult to push people out of those boundaries. And we do have a very diverse art scene. Yeah, I mean, it's got the most theatres in one space yes. outside of London. Like, it's the second most theatres in one space other than London. So it, it, it has performance at its heart, mm. but sometimes you do but have to really dig at it to, to the, get the audience The in. performance scene splits into the very, very familiar Lyceum Theatre has like big musicals and productions. The Crucible does Shakespeare, and uh, like in most cities, there's a, then also the very underground, the very niche, the very hipster. Um, <laughs> and improv sits somewhere very in the middle. It's not familiar, but it's definitely not 
Well, it is niche, but it's not. It's not making a large effort to be niche. Um, so it, it has to say it, it wants you to be there because you find it fun, not mm. because you find it trendy. Right. Uh, but but it needs people to take a chance on it. So it, it sits in a very weird place. I always think improv because you're not necessarily gonna you you want trendsetters to come and take interest in it but it, it it's also a very down-to-earth format it's not trying to be ooh fancy alt I'm you know eating raw chicken while staring directly down the camera very yeah you um, can you can win artsy. an audience over to improv once they've seen it yes so I know uh, for example my mum and dad who um, they're very theatery I've sort of done theater with them for sort of years and when I started getting into the comedy side of things, they were so supportive, but had no idea what any of it was about. <laughs> and they didn't know, have any idea what improv was. And it took a long time before they eventually saw it, saw me or anyone I knew doing it. And they were, oh, oh, this is fantastic. Oh, we'd love to see more of this. And I think convincing someone to come and, you know, uh, and, and see improv can be the hard bit. Getting that regular audience and that reliable audience is tough. But I think you have that power to, to really get fans of it and get people mm. on board. I mean, theatre and plays, people are or they're not a theatre goer, but most people will at least stomach a, a big production with a celebrity in it or a pantomime or whatever. Whereas improv is, for some people, it's very niche and very mm. you know peculiar and maybe something they've never even seen short of a bit of mock the week at the end kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think we're at a nice stage where hopefully we can build up a community that Sheffield's really proud of because they have a thing that yeah. not everyone else knows about and it, and it becomes sort of quite a nice um, little secret of ours. And it is something that I want to secretly, something, one of my hidden agendas is, is to really find a way of fusing the Sheffield spirit into improv because Sheffield has got its very, you meet people in Sheffield and they are, they're, they're, they're you know, down to earth, very... Uh, you know, all very lovely people. That very northern mm. likability that, yeah, yeah. that that sounds so. I am also. I've lived my whole life in the north, so I shouldn't speak to, about us like we're <laughs> zoo animals. Friendly um, cavemen. Yeah, <laughs> but but there is that certain element of of there. You know, the north has this stereotype of being uh, rough and gritty, but innately likable. <laughs> that's that's a, a perpetuated stereotype, but it, it is. Like, it's a strength. It yeah, definitely is a strength. It is a strength, and it, that down to earthness, that um, keeping it real, so to speak, um, and that just doing something because it's good and it's just like you know, no no frills, just high quality. It's something I'd like to bring to our improv as well. Yeah, uh, and that's currently a lot of our improv is that it's not necessarily overly kind of gimmicky or frilly it's just no. solid high quality improv across the board yeah I think I think that's um, that's often the thing that I care about is the presentation because I like to see lots of different kinds of improv but personally I like to produce improv that perhaps you could even mistake for a sketch show at times mm. that you get scenes that are of a quality that you could take them out of context and play them I think there's a lot of shared joy in improv. If it all goes wrong, it's still great. And, yeah. um, but I think it's the cheesiness sometimes that perhaps does leave me a little mm. cold. And I think it's more because I worry that it looks cheesy to an audience. And mm. I think that kind of schlocky sort of, uh, oh, we, yes, we all did improv in university. I remember in my university troupe and it all being a bit fake and a bit you know non-naturalistic. 
it's very easy to kind of fall down that rabbit hole. Uh, and I think having to start up that scene ourselves and sort of build that scene between us and the other groups in Sheffield mm. means that we kind of can label the kind of improv yeah. that we're showing and sort of say, this is improv up north. Mm. Uh, it's hard hitting, it's real, come and see it, it's different. Um, and you, you can brand it almost, yeah. you can brand it as, as a little bit I different. should establish, we're not building this scene single-handedly. I realise the way we're talking, it sounded <laughs> like we were trying to establish that we were, and that's not what we're trying, no, to, not at all. What, not what we're trying to say. Um, it's just more our motivation. But I completely agree, there's, there's a level of like, there's something very nice about being in, in, a, in a relatively forming scene. Yeah. And I think... What's interesting is groups have been in Sheffield for so long, but a scene is only just developing now because I think you've got to have certain things for something to go from being a series of groups to a scene. And I think, weirdly enough, something that is very powerful is a jam. So um, Robert Anderson, he, uh, him and Alex Keane, they made the jam together, the Sheffield Improv Jam, and that has done uh, like huge things for the scene, bringing people together, make, giving people like a, a monthly place to come and meet I think yes. that's a huge thing about yeah. scenes is having groups actually meet each other and sit down in the same room for like even a couple weekend, of hours. Yeah, it's, networking is vital to mm. the existence of improv carrying on. I mean, hanging out like yeah. as much as it's been nice networking people meet. I just I like hanging around with improvisers. I, like, I think that's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't <laughs> differentiate between the two. Yeah, I think it's networking can. I think the business world has made networking seem so hostile and horrible, yeah. but in reality, it is it's just being with other people. But having that regular hangout spot, I think. Um, at the time, we were trying to really push the improv scene. We also ran a monthly improv show. That was that was my baby, and it was horrible to have to eventually kill it off. But. Uh, necessary, but I ran a show called Chuckle Nuts for a year, wow. which was a monthly short form show. But every single one was a combination of members of different groups from across oh, Sheffield. That's interesting. Um, just getting them playing with new people, but then just tell, like putting it out there like this is a, a sample of loads of different groups from Sheffield. Yeah. Uh, come and see what we have to show. And for the year that it ran, yeah, it brought the a venue lot of interest. held it back. It was it was one of those things of. Uh, it, 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 it was great for improvisers to see, and it was also made for an incredibly good show because you got all the talent from mm. all over Sheffield. But we were in a, a venue miles away from the city centre uh. who weren't that big on publicising it. Um, it kind of... Um, your friends and family eventually do get sick of yeah. supporting you, uh, is which, is, which is fair. In terms of coming to shows, not oh in God. terms of emotionally supporting <laughs> you. I wasn't trying to suggest anyone's family uh, was emotionally Look, distant. My family may have disowned me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, but it was great. It was, it was a really nice example of, uh, of that kind of universal language of improv that you can, you call games different things or you, you know, oh, I've not heard that technique, but I've heard this one. And yet you get, just like at these weekends, you get a bunch of people together and we all speak the same language. And mm. I think that's awesome. Yes. Great. Mm. So what was the, um, what was the organisation um, behind getting different people? Because it's hard enough getting everyone that's in the same group together to perform. <laughs> yeah. Getting people from different groups, that seems complicated. Yeah, I mean, I've herded less stressful cats. <laughs> um, so the, what I basically did is uh, social media, like as, as, as terrifying as social media is, it's so useful for improv. Uh, I stuck everyone who was interested, not every member of every group was necessarily interested, but I, I went around all the groups and I was like, this is what I'm planning on doing. Uh, do you have members of your group who would be interested? And everyone who said yes, I started 
stuck onto one large Facebook group and I used that group to go, this is when the show is, we're going to hold just the one rehearsal. Because that's the benefit of working with established improvisers. You don't have to aggressively rehearse them together. Yeah, 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 you yeah. run through games, you make sure any games they're not even not familiar with, you kind of touch over, uh, kind of retread over, maybe teach people who are, are new to the games. Um, but that's maybe an hour, two hours, and at the time I was still, I was at the tail end of my university years, so we could borrow the university rooms, cool. uh, which is super helpful. <laughs> and then they just had to be available on the night. So in many ways, it's the same level of organization that goes into like a, a, an open mic night. You just have to collect your people together, uh, make sure they all know where and when they need to be. And I, I, I kind of, dropouts were filled in with strike members. <laughs> I would just turn to strike and go, well, we've had a last minute uh, dropout, can one of you guys do it? Because it still fulfilled, as long as, as, long as we were you know, touching base with all the different groups and trying to get as many people there as possible, um, regardless, we were gonna put on a good, a good improv show come Hello High Water. Uh, and it was, it was a really nice thing to do, because we, we did, the, 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 the only kind of thing that, that we did every single show is we did Quest. Quest, what's that? Quest is a um, so the Sheffield. We've had a various different groups centre around the idea of doing mid form between mid-form. short form and long form, where they're short form style games, but designed to be really long and to allow mainly scene building within them. Yeah. Uh, that was really coined by um, Ryan, and I can't remember a second name. But Ryan from Caboodle Improv Theatre, um, he he really pushed that for a while. And I, I was intrigued by it. But a game that really grew out of it, and I think this is from other places as well, but it is Quest, and you get a suggestion of a, a thing you need to go and get. And then you basically tell it by having one person travel between different scenes, then go get the thing, and then travel back through yeah, these right, different yeah, scenes yeah. as well. So what we would do is we'd have before the interval, the first half of that game, then we'd have a cliffhanger, yeah. and then we'd come and bring them back to that second half. So little things like that were really nice. Yeah. Um, and we, we really tried to make things as familiar as possible for the performers to reduce that necess- necessity for rehearsal. And so that eventually just performing the shows would just become familiar. Cool, that sounds great. And Charlie, you also you also do stand-up. Mm. Tell me about your yes. stand-up. What sort of stand-up are you? So I'm... It's, it's a strange one. I, I sort of do a character um, in as much that I don't particularly do kind of observational sort of stand-up. Um, it's at the moment that, that my current one is I deliver a first aid uh, course. Um, it's not a very good one, um, but you can't tell me that. Um, <laughs> and a lot of the advice is, um, I, I have to put a disclaimer at the end of don't try this at home because <laughs> truly you would kill your friends or family. Um, yeah, I'm quite interested in in character improv and not even necessarily, um, sorry, character stand-up. And not even necessarily in like giving myself a, a big name or a big persona, just one person with a microphone on stage is an incredibly powerful thing. And I think not enough comedy is, is, is played with enough. That, that, that concept of having your voice uh, and someone's attention for 15 minutes or so. Um, and I like to kind of play with that and, uh, and sort of think, what is just funny? Not, not what about my life is funny or what can I see out of my bedroom window is funny. <laughs> just what, what makes people laugh? What is ridiculous? Uh, inspired, um, which I didn't realise until uh, Joe mentioned this, uh, Philomena Kunk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That sort of nature of just 
whatever is being said is hilarious. Just the <laughs> language, the language itself is mm. just ridiculous. Um, and that sort of led me to set up an open mic night, which I'm currently still running. I've not yet had to uh, throw in the towel on that. What's that called? Um, that's called Mr. Panda's Comedy Night. Right. Which stems from uh, when I was in a two-prov sort of sketch group uh, with a giant stuffed panda that I live with um, <laughs> called Mr. Panda. And we were the first uh, interspecies, one woman, one panda sketch group. Um, and he's, he's since been retired to just my co-host of the night, mainly because it was such a ridiculous prop to carry on trains. I don't drive, getting to gigs. Like, the questions on the way there were just ridiculous. And uh, for the sake of five minute spot where it was, it was, it was often hit, but when it was missed, I mean, you, you really take a bad gig a lot worse when you've lugged a panda halfway across the country. Um, so yeah, so I run that as, as your basic kind of open mic new material night. Um, I'm happy to give anyone a gig as long as they're not horribly offensive or have wronged me in some way. Um, but I'm also really keen for it to be alternative. I, whatever you do that you call comedy, I'm, I'm here for. I, I think more improv should be open mic nights, more sketch, like, uh, more musical comedy mm. and uh, musical magicians and all the very strange things we've had on over the time. I've been to every single one and my favourite performance from like all of them was one man came on and pretended to be the famous Hollywood star Kerry Mulligan mm. and as the, he just kept telling us he was Kerry Mulligan and as time went on, it became very clear he wasn't 100% sure who Carrie Mulligan was. Yeah, it was a semi-improvised. Just before he went on, he said to me, can I try something a bit new? And I was like, sure, great. It, it's a free night to pay what you feel. Uh, the audience get what they pay for. I mean, pay what they feel at the end and you get whatever money's in the bucket. So it's your fault if the bucket's empty. And, um, and, he, and he sort of went on and he was, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Andrew Marsh, uh, yes, fantastic awesome. stand-up. And it, and it just, he had very little characterization to be like Carrie Mulligan. <laughs> he had a glass of red wine and every now and then he twirled as he said Carrie Mulligan and he, and he took questions from the audience and answered them in this, in this bizarre, and it was wonderful because the audience were hysterical and it was, the, it was really one of those moments of, you wouldn't book someone who claimed that that's what they were going to do and yet it was wonderful. And, uh, and I think my love of improv and my love of the random and the unexpected really feeds into my stand-up. Anything that anyone does that they will stand on stage and make people laugh, I'm like, get in, get on the, get on the show. Because we're both big fans of Vine as well. This yes. is something we share, and we miss it. We miss it terribly. <laughs> but uh, so much of Vine, that the source of Vine humour, that often it's just a quick subversion of expectation. Six seconds, you you basically have enough time to set up one quick premise, and then a subversion. Um, it, it, again, it, that that is pretty much a summary of the kind of humour we mm. we both like, really. I I, I like to be surprised. Mm. I think that's which is you know a great reason to love improv, but also yeah. I think a great reason to love stand up. I'm rubbish at watching stand up though. Yeah. I find that uh, not to be sort of a, a hipster about it, but I find a lot of popular stand ups very difficult to watch. I I find. I struggle to find comedians, sort of stand-up comedians that I that I really laugh at and I really love. And I tend to find it's the ones with like a great use of language, a great use of character, like your Victoria Woods, mm. your Rick Mayles, just people whose entire bodies are like, you know, a box of frogs and everything is so wonderfully <laughs> random. And I and I really want to make more of that in my mm. own stand-up, uh, as well as sort of on the night. 
And a lot of that comes from 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 touching in with improv, touching in with sketch. And the three can learn so much from each other. Um, and yet there, there, there can just be moments where we feel like we're at odds with each other. Stand-up and sketch and improv can feel like we're, we're all fighting for the same spots. Yeah. But in reality, there's so much to be gleaned from, from, from knowing and understanding mm. all the other ways of, of doing comedy, as it were. I'm a big fan of the... Um, I know Fat Penguin, I think, do a show like this. Mm. But also uh, Ascat. Um, oh, the, the stand-up turns yeah. into scene suggestions. So, yeah, so a stand-up does a bit of a set, a bit of a talk, um, sort of whatever it is. And then the improvisers do scenes based on that. And I think it's great because it's that kind of sort of Armando style. It's, mm. it's, it's like the montage style. But you're also including a comedian. So the, the, the monologue at the beginning is going to be funny. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just a great example of how stand-up and improv, we don't need to fight. <laughs> Capulets and Montagues, come on, let's come together and, um, and, and make something special. Yeah, because a lot of that, a lot of that sense of kind of bumping shoulders is sometimes it can feel like as an improviser and stand-ups and sketch. I think particularly as an improviser, you can get this sense because the improv feels like it's constantly having to fight to have its position because it, out of the three, probably the lesser known and I feel like I'm not saying anything too radical by no, saying no. that so sometimes you can feel you look to stand-ups and look to sketch and you go you easy trotters <laughs> uh, non-swears uh, and you kind of sometimes do go oh you have it so easy and that's not true at all they have their own obstacles and their own things to get over but you know on the days where you're not feeling very generous you can kind of get uh, a little bit like oh, I, just, I wish I could go to a different open mic every every evening and stuff like that. Um, but it's just, they're different scenes and they operate differently. And, you know, on the days where I'm not, you know, when I am feeling very generous and I, I'm open-minded, I realise that what we need to be doing is not trying to compare or contrast, but rather to bridge and bring together and, and, and connect and help each other. Yeah. The, the skills are incredibly interchangeable as well. Like, I, I got into improv first but I think it massively helped me as a stand-up, and I think vice versa. Your ability to use language improves in your improv because of your stand-up, because you're always thinking about how things are funny and how you're saying them. But equally, um, improv's great for heckling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thinking of things off the cuff or when you forgot something, being able to bring it back. Uh, and I, I genuinely think that all stand-ups should do at least one improv class, okay. and all improvisers should try stand-up at least once. Yeah. I really think that... Stand-up's um, great for game. Because oh, uh, unfortunately, stand-ups play games themselves to be funny, so it can make you feel that pressure. But it is that stand-ups have to, on their own, detect patterns in the real world. Yeah. So it's that observational, have you ever noticed how this is quite odd? Let's talk about this for a while. Let's map this to a new location. So, you know, uh, policemen are angry. Imagine if Roman guards were angry. <laughs> Better than that. But, like, like, you do that. You map things in terms of game. You uh, explore the if and thens. Like, you, you do a lot of that, and that that's that's really valuable to kind of do in the form of stand-up and then to be able to go, oh, it's really relieving just to be able to do this as an improv scene instead. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, and you're working on a duo together? We are. We are, yes. We... we we very specifically came to your Tuprov yes. to do some learning on it. It was pure joy. It was wonderful. Yeah, we, um, well, what we thought was, was we live together, um, we work 
pretty much the same hours, we improvise together, we yeah. act together, and we thought we really don't see each other enough, mm -hmm. so why not start a project we do in our own home, in our, in our spare time? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, it was great. We, we've always performed well together, right from being at uni together. Mm. We've always had a very similar kind of sense of humor, mm -hmm. um, so we thought, let's set up something where we're in charge yeah. and we only have to use of answer to ourselves and uh, yeah. be on our own schedule we were we were very careful not to make this the reason or the the the, 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 the basis of our no. two prov group but the fact that we are in a relationship massively influences the way that we improvise together because uh, obviously so much of improv is how how well you know the other person yeah. and you know especially with a duo yeah yes. in a duo so the fact that we so regularly have conversations, we know each other. We do. We we so regularly talk. Um, <laughs> we just sit and cut the cheese. Um, that's not what that means. Oh, um, um, we the, the, that level of kind of knowing each other hugely helps with improv to the point that we do feel comfortable just dropping into a scene very easily, and we 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 do sort of have that slight mind reading element yeah we, we find sort of uh, when it's just the two of us we, we get this almost like um in joke that gets yeah. into an in joke which gets into an in joke and and you quite literally if anyone was to hear it it wouldn't be at all funny to them <laughs> um but it is that kind of yeah like uh, mm. we're so on the same page with someone and i think we realize that while we love obviously being part of strike and being part of bigger groups wouldn't it be great to take what we feel is quite a, a sort of special relationship that we've got as performers together and go, let's turn this into a, a two-prov. But we were very cautious not to make that the gimmick or the, yeah. the thing, yeah. like come and see a couple yeah. improvise together. It's an easy thing to do because yeah. you'd, you'd easily make the mistake to think that anyone would care. <laughs> you know? yeah. You'd very easily make the mistake to go that people would find that cute or quirky or interesting. And of course it isn't really. No, it's two people doing, I think, regardless, it is just still two people improvising. Absolutely, it, it makes no difference. And it's, it's meant as well that um, we've we've therefore not built up characters already. If you, if you set yourselves up as you know, man and wife almost, as it yeah. were, where is there to go from there? You, you've gendered your characters, mm -hmm. you've given you know, such a familiar relationship, but where do you go from there? Uh, and I think that's really been kind of the, the starting point for us, is going, we want to do improv with just the two of us. How do you do improv, just the two of you? Yep. What kind of improv do we do? How do we get people to come and see us? And part of the difficulty of that is obviously, again, being so far off in Sheffield, you don't get as many, you know, companies coming through. So we haven't, we didn't see that many two prov before we decided to put together. I think the one we did see was uh, Alex Keane and Rachel Thorne yes. formed a uh, long form group in Sheffield that they're now touring through the UK called Between Us, um, which is fabulous. Mm. Um, and we watched that and that, that informed a lot of it, but it's very different to what we want to do. Theirs is a, a very theatrical, uh, not necessarily comedic piece. Uh, as in they are happy to make it comedy, but they're not focusing on that every time. It's more focusing on the relationships. Uh, and it was wonderful to watch, um, but because we really, we, we're all about the comedy aspect, that's, that's, we have a passion and love for comedy and we'll force it if we have to. Um, <laughs> we, we wanted to learn how, how you build that comedy and, and, and how you can lean into the comedy aspect. So we're still developing. We'll yeah. go home after this weekend and have... Furious amounts of notes, haven't just, we? Yeah, <laughs> just have copious conversations about, um, God, we sound boring. Uh, <laughs> we really do. We'll have so many 
conversations. Um, uh, yeah, and we'll just we'll, we'll uh, it'll really help us start to build this. So you, you you never know. You may you may see this group turn up in the next few months. That sounds fantastic. Yes. Cool. Time for the big final exciting question. Mm. What is each other's signature improv move? Oh. So I would say Joe's. <laughs> Joe's is a particular character. I wish you could see an impression I can do of it. So Joe has a particular high status character that he does, who is very much every Lemony Snicket character ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much the, um, the slightly um, creepy Lord of the Manor. Uh, and it, it's, got, it's got a sound, and its voice is very like this. And Joe will walk onto a scene, and he'll have his hands behind his back, he'll look down his nose at you, and he'll say, boy. <laughs> and you absolutely know that like, this is where this scene is going. And we've got creepy man in creepy house once again. Uh, and I love uh, stock character Joe. <laughs> um, and as for Charlie, my favorite Charlie move, I can put it into a noise actually. Oh, Charlie's, uh, it's a whole character, but I could, the best way to put it is a noise, and it's a, uh, Oh, and as, as that sound happens, your eyes widen and it's a character who is not enthusiastic about a situation but has to act enthusiastic and it, the whole comedy of that character comes from just watching the tortured, because uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie's strength in improv is definitely um, her characters, uh, as in her characterization, her acting skill, because obviously uh, with a theatre background, um, it, it, that that ability to convey so much, particularly in the face, facial expression department, um, I'm so, I word things so terribly sometimes, um, but like uh, that aspect. So watching a character that's so clearly uncomfortable but acting comfortable, and that torture in the face and all of that means that not much has to happen in the scene for the the audience just to fall in love with the whole scene and just uh, and enjoy following this character through so many situations they don't want to be involved with. Um, it's just a really funny thing to watch. Fantastic. Thank you very much for being guests on the Improv London podcast. Thanks for having us. Yay! Yay. <laughs> I made this. That's Improv! <laughs> <laughs>